Welcome to Jewel to Detail and I'm your host Mark Rittman. Today I'm pleased to be joined by Dr. Carsten Banger, one of Europe's leading market analysts for analytics and data management and the founder of Bark, the people behind the BI survey that you might have seen myself or others in the industry mention and ask people to help with their fieldwork. So welcome to the show Carsten and why don't you introduce yourself properly and tell us about Bark and the BI survey. Sure, thank you Mark. Yeah, I founded Bark about and um, our, our primary mission is to help companies to make technology and uh, software selection decisions. So that's how we started. We started with a test lab and uh, published basically research on um, feature comparisons and on successful architectures and so on. So that was back in the 90s when we called BIMIS. And pretty soon we added the um, user research to that. So with uh, acquiring the OLAP report in 2006, we did a big step into uh, tapping into more than 2,000 users that each year answered um, about 50 questions uh, around their project. So how did they select um, their BI product? Um, what experience did they make? Um, how do they rate the, the vendor and the implementation experience and so on? So that's the second field of research for us next to this more, these more technical evaluations. We do now a lot of user research. Um, this is the BI survey. We also do the same thing on the planning market, so planning and budgeting solutions. And then we do a lot of topical surveys each year, um, looking at uh, trending topics and how users feel about them. Okay, okay. So how does your how does the BI survey differ then to perhaps ones that are more well known, the Gartner reports, the Forrester reports, and so on? How, how do you how is it different, and how is the yeah you know, the research different really in that? Sure. Yeah, I mean, first of all, it's the pure size. So it's close to 3,000 users each year. I think the second uh, important point is the, um, the the data points we have, have back into the history. So we run it since the year 2000. So we have now 17 years of data. And to see some trends emerging or going back is also, I think, quite interesting. And, and another thing is that it's a really unbiased view, so it's not sponsored by anyone. Um, so we, we ask the uh, users about their experience and um, it's, I think, gives a very good uh, view on what's really happening in the marketplace. Okay, so you mentioned the OLAP report there, and I, I remember the days of Nigel Pensy and the OLAP report, mm -hmm. and he's fairly, you know, he's fairly opinionated, um, and he was fairly the, the, the reviews he did at the time were very uh, in depth. So, so what's the link back then to the OLAP report? You say that you acquired the, uh, the, 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 I suppose the kind of the content of that a while ago, but what's the link back mm -hmm. there really? It was really, um, actually, we started as a company out of a, a university project that was comparing uh, software products. So we, we ran a test lab and we were going quite into detail and people really liked that. Um, that was not superficial, but we really tested the solutions and we often checked more than 100 features and, and really the architecture of the solutions. And when I... Uh, looked around in the marketplace um, in Europe, I found only two um, analyst companies or analysts that had a quite a similar approach to ours. And, and one was uh, Nigel Pensy in the UK, and the other was actually the CXP group in France. 
And so it was basically no, um, it didn't come to a big surprise that um, we teamed up with Nigel. We had some collaborative work. And at some point, since he was looking to go into retirement at some point, we then came to an agreement that we continue his work. And after a while, we changed the name from OLAP report to uh, BI. Um, so the OLAP survey to the BI survey and the OLAP report, we called the BI verdict back then. And we tried basically to continue the work since we also had a, a, a very thorough methodology in testing products. I think it was a, a very good fit and we could continue that work. Okay, so I mean, looking at your website and some of the things you do now, you've gone well beyond, I think, what, what was around then. I mean, the content you've got and the reports you do are a lot more than, I suppose, those days, really. But it, it's nice to sort of pedigree there. And as you say, having the data going back all those years is interesting as well. And we can talk a bit later on about trends that you're sort of seeing in the market. But how does, so how, how does it, I mean, I suppose, a direct question, how does it pay for itself for you? I mean, you're doing a lot of research there. There's a lot of time goes into that. You don't take vendor support. How do you pay for this? And what's the economics behind it? Yeah, actually, uh, times changed in that. Um, in the early days when we started, users were willing to pay for research. So we basically uh, sold our reports and we sold the, the product comparison reports and we sold the survey. Um, we still do that today. But honestly, um, as we, we all see in the media business, things change quite a lot and users expect uh, a lot of uh, research to be free these days. So what we do is um, that we basically offer vendors to buy some of the results documents. And um, with that, we make sure that we can finance the effort. But it's very important to see that this is only done afterwards. So we always run each year, we run the, the survey, we run the data, uh, we produce the report, and then we offer it to vendors. And some obviously like uh, what they see um, if they have happy customers and other vendors don't. And then obviously they... Um, they don't buy the marketing rights. Uh, honestly, uh, a lot of the vendors buy, buy, still buy the report to see how they stack up and, and to see the data. But um, this is basically how it's done. Interesting. I mean, I work in currently work in product management in a slightly slightly related sort of area. And I know that certainly we look at things like trust radius reports and, and things like that. I mean, even if the data is, is, is negative, you want to know that. You want to know in areas that you're lagging behind. So like you say, you might not use it for marketing purposes, but you certainly would, would, would value it as an independent source of market knowledge, really. So, yeah, very interesting. No, absolutely. And um, what's important? the voice of the customer and yes. I think um, vendors are very well advised to, to, to really take a look um, what what data we can collect there. Okay so so let's get in so you, you've just finished the field work for the BI survey 17 is that correct so tell us a little bit about I suppose the work that goes into that and the scope of it and then we'll get into the details of it in a second. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, as usual, we, we have a very big um, sample size. So again, we, we are close to 3000 participants. It's a truly global survey. So we have people from more than 90 countries participating. And I think what's also special about it, it has a, a very strong European footprint. I mean, in our industry, you see a lot of surveys, but, but most of them are almost purely based on uh, North American uh, samples. And as we all know, 
uh, things might be a bit different. Um, we have different uh, vendors and products in, in the survey, which are predominantly present in Europe. And um, often uh, users in Europe also have a different viewpoint. Um, sometimes they are a little bit uh, later to the market, um, which can be good and bad. And we see also that they sometimes take a different approach to, to BI projects. And I think that's quite interesting. And that's what we can see here, that we have quite a, a well-balanced global sample. Okay, okay. And I guess you're looking also at implementations on existing software, whereas I, I would imagine some of the surveys that go on other, other people, they're more interested in what is driving you license business, whereas you're asking people, what are they doing actually now uh, with software that's there as opposed to what are they buying? Exactly. We have a, um, it's actually a broad distribution. So for each uh, product we look at, we have some people um, on older versions and some on the newer ones. So it's pretty typically a pretty good mix. And that also shows then the, the differences. Uh, so how things might be improving or not. Um, but, uh, but you're right. It's a, it's a well-balanced view on the products as well. Okay, so I mean, just getting on to the results of the last survey, then. So, what do you what are you seeing in terms of the trends of new implementations? You know, is self is self, is self service really dominant? Is this idea of a modern BI platform is it actually reality? Um, uh, is that is that happening at the moment? Is that how you're seeing implementations happening? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, this is not a new trend. Obviously, we see that now for for many years. Um, but it's still um, the predominant way to implement BI today. So, um, I mean, we have seen that also the, the older, the larger vendors have reacted. I mean, um, the, the product portfolios um, are now quite different. But what, uh, let's say, started with uh, Click maybe about uh, 10 years ago and has been continued with uh, Tableau, let's say, in the last five to 10 years, um, has really changed the market, I think. So um, it, it's really now about self-service. It's about the, the uh, quick implementation. It's about enabling a business user to do a lot of things themselves. And... Um, but we, what we, we see changes now in, in two, maybe two interesting ways. One is that um, um, the maturity obviously has um, increased over the time. And we see now a much higher importance of the data management related topics. So it's, it's not, yeah, absolutely. So it's not so much about, um, okay, let's uh, implement uh, a self-service tool everywhere across the organization in a completely ungoverned way and everyone can do whatever they like. But um, the, the more mature organizations have seen the, the downside of this, which is uh, really uh, basically in the consistency of data. And it's also in, the, um, in the, the repeating efforts that you have everywhere. So things are, are done repeatedly. And obviously, this is not uh, efficient to do. So we see the, the pendulum, in a way, is swinging back right now. So we see more efforts now on data governance. We see more importance now in, in uh, ideas or thoughts about how to actually control self-service, how to come to a, a still a, a set of defined um, uh, KPIs, for example, how to ensure security, how to ensure um, uh, data privacy, um, especially uh, right now in the GDPR context, which is also an eye-opener where you, where you see, okay, if you have completely 
uncontrolled distributed data across the enterprise in, in hundreds of self-service installations, um, this will basically not uh, help us or will not be compliant to what's um, um, demanded in, in GDPR. So it, it's really, um, we see the pendulum swinging back. It's now, again, discussions around platform features, security, privacy, consistency in data, data governance, maybe as, as the uh, super ter superset, the, the term that um, maybe is describing that quite well. And, but on the other hand, the users still demand the flexibility. They still demand the user friendliness. And for many organizations, we see it's, it's quite a balancing act to, to basically try to do both at the same time. So is this, is this new, newfound discovery, I suppose, of data governance and, and, and those kind of things, is that coming from the business users themselves who are rediscovering this? Or is it more that the kind of the IT department are, are reasserting their authority? Or, or is it, I mean, how, how, do, you, do you see how that's happening? Or, you know, is it from business or is it from IT coming, really? Um, it's now, I think that's the good news. It's, it's now also coming from uh, the business side. I mean, they have um, in the in the self-service BI field, um, they surely have taken control. So they own the budgets now. They they are making the purchasing decisions. They are often even implementing the tools without IT support. But um, after a while, uh, many users also see now the downsides of this. And uh, basically, um, I think IT is much better uh, back in the game now being able to have this more centralized approach and being able to support the users here. And I think that's the important notion is that, um, let's say five to 10 years ago, we had this discussion, um, IT is setting the standards and every business users that, that wouldn't comply to the standard, what basically um, was, was bad. Yeah, they, they weren't supported, they were basically um, um, uncontrolled and then they started to help themselves and now this has changed. Um, I think the, the IT departments see that they needed to change their role. And many it now take a much more supportive role. They understood, okay, it's, it's uh, important for the users to have their flexibility. And we have to define together with the users where are the areas where we need a central governance and where we, we can play a role. And, and for example, where it absolutely makes sense to provide centrally governed data. And where do we need the flexibility for the users where we are not trying to control it from, a, from an IT point of view, but we basically let the users have the, the self-service. And um, I think that's the, the position we are in right now. Okay, so do you find, are you hearing that projects are more successful now with this approach? I mean, is, is there any, you know, with this move to self-service and the business owning the, 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 the budget, has that led to more success and better ROI in your, in your opinion? Yeah, I think yes. Um, it's it's really that we see that that speed and um, flexibility are two of the the major requirements today. So um, and this has been served quite well with the self service tools. And um, we we discussed the downsides of this, but this is now um, being better and better addressed. So um, I think, yes, it's it's um, has been more successful and users are, are often quite pleased with what they get there. Okay, so have you found that, I mean, the vendors like, say, Oracle, for example, the one that I know, have made quite an effort to try and create what they might call kind of bimodal or, or kind of hybrid platforms where they try and cover both self-service and governed. You know, has that been successful? Have you seen that being taken up by the market or is that more wishful thinking, do you think? 
Let's say it's starting slowly. Um, so right now, the um, let's say pure self-service tools are, are still much more popular. And they are actually adding these platform features. Um, for sure, they are not, not there yet. It's not comparable. But um, I think there's still a... Um, um, there, there's still a, a notion that um, the, the pure play, let's call them pure self-service tools, are, are still more popular. But um, as I said, the maturity is rising and, and more and more organizations understand the benefits also of um, having this bimodal approach. Okay. I mean, do you, I know it might, this might be outside the scope of your survey, but do you also hear that there are data warehousing projects going on? I mean, is, is that kind of thing happening or, or is it largely reporting against data in, in, in situ now or doing blending directly in the tool? I mean, you know, is, is that a dead area or is it still kind of alive, really, data warehousing? Um, it's still alive. Um, it's, it's simply... Um, it, it, yeah, people said it's dead and it's too slow and, and it's not too costly and so on. But after a few years of uh, trying everything decentralized and distributed, they see, oh, there is some value. But obviously, we need to do things differently. So um, what we see now is that there are still a new data warehouse being built because it's basically a very strong concept. It's a very strong idea to have centrally governed data and you still need it. But I think the, the one thing is that the scope is now um, better defined. So it's more clearly defined, okay, what makes sense to have in a data warehouse? And uh, the second thing is that we see that now, for example, agile uh, development methods have uh, been implemented, that um, there is um, a tooling now available around data warehouse automation, which also eases um, things and also speeds up, for example, the... Um, the, the introduction of new data sources um, or changes in the data model and so on. So we have seen some advances that really help to, to make the data warehouse more agile. And I think a lot of companies have learned their lessons. Um, but on the other hand, they also see the value. So I think it's, it's not that. We, we see the data warehouse. Um, we see that a lot of uh, data lakes have been built up. Uh, often for the, the more unstructured data, um, but this now really plays a role maybe as a raw data storage, but still for the structured data, um, you basically you cannot really get around the concept of the data warehouse. No, exactly. So what about cloud? I mean, is, is, I think I noticed in one of your reports that cloud adoption was perhaps not as kind of prevalent as we might have thought a few years ago. I mean, is, is cloud deployment of BI now a reality or is it is it more for the future? It's starting, for sure. Um, let's see, and in, in our data, we see quite clearly that the adoption curve in, in Europe in general is about two to three years behind uh, North America, which I think is quite a, quite a big gap. It's um, actually, Europe is, is not a, a homogeneous here. Um, we see some, some uh, regions being much quicker, like uh, the UK, like the, the Nordics, for example. They, they are, uh, were jumping on this topic uh, quite early. But what we also see is now that the uh, later moving markets like uh, France or Germany, um, now the, the cloud adoption is really starting. And um, so I think it's quite interesting. And for me, that will be the next big uh, change in the market that we see this um, in a broader scale adoption in the next years. So is cloud, when you, when you see BI deployments moving to the cloud, is that, driven, is that driven by other movements the company's making into the cloud? Or are you finding that BI is moving separately into that? I mean, how, how dependent is it, is it on the whole company moving to cloud, do you think? 
Uh, it for sure helps. Um, we see um, now many companies having a, a cloud-first strategy, for example. So they really look hard whether they can do new projects in the cloud. Um, what I found in, uh, find interesting is that um, typically there's no migration going on. So whatever you have uh, today on-premise stays there. So it's really more about um, new projects or new data sources to look at. And with more and more data sources in the cloud, um, obviously now Cloud BI gets also more interesting. <clears throat> and the um, second, second thing I see is that there's quite a, a difference between the data management in the cloud and the BI in the cloud. So um, in, in uh, for example, cloud-based data warehouses, I don't see a lot right now. While it's um, easier to have a, a cloud-based or software-as-a-service um, BI solution running, um, so I also see a difference there. Okay. Okay. So when 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 customers move to the cloud, do they typically go with their existing vendor, or does that prompt them to look at new vendors and new new ways of doing things? Um, it, it, I think it's a chance for new vendors for sure, and we see that everywhere. So we see that on, on all levels of the architectures because um, uh, data integration into a cloud solution is, is often done differently than on-premises. So there's a, a chance for new solutions and new vendors to, to take a look. Um, we see that the um, cloud infrastructure providers like uh, Amazon or Microsoft or Google are playing a much bigger role whenever it comes to the data management side of things. And um, we even see, for example, now first companies uh, rethinking their Hadoop strategies, whether they might be able to replace that with the uh, native um, object stores in the cloud platforms. So, um, and now suddenly uh, Amazon S3 or Azure or Google play a role. Um, where you traditionally had the um, either the, the database players or the Hadoop uh, distributors. Um, so um, for sure, the, the, the native cloud companies, let's call them that way, are playing a much bigger role now. Yeah, I mean, that's been my, that's been my experience the last 12 months. <clears throat> I used to be uh, working with Oracle quite a bit, working with, um, I suppose, Cloudera, working with on-premise Hadoop. And, and now suddenly it's all BigQuery and so on. And, and, and the, you know, the ease of use is, is fantastic. And, uh, and, and it's, it's probably quite worrying for the likes of, you know, Cloudera, for example, who, who had quite a big play in that area. But, I mean, do you, do you see the Hadoop vendors still relevant in this space, really? Are they, being, are they being referenced as much? Are they being used as much? Or is, or is that a kind of a moment that's passed? Um, right now, I think they're still uh, quite relevant because, I mean, uh, a lot of data lake projects are still in the build-up phase. And um, I think especially for for this data lake concept, for unstructured data, it, it will not go away, um, at least not quickly. Um, on the other hand, we do see um, these vendors already starting to reposition themselves. So if you, um, just, a, just an example, I recently saw in London a, a keynote from uh, one of the senior executives of, of Cloudera, and I think he didn't mention Hadoop once. So it was, it was really all about the um, advanced analytics, data science support. It was about the, um, having the, the metadata and the semantics layer across several stores and so on and so on. So I think that's a sign that the vendors are already starting to reposition themselves. 
Okay, okay. So, um, <clears throat> so I mean, in general, you know, usage of BI within companies, I mean, is it, has it been rising? Has it plateaued? I mean, what, what's the general kind of, I suppose, penetration like in terms of BI tools in companies? And looking back at your, you know, years of data, has that kind of changed or whatever? What, what's your view on that? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the interesting results of the BI survey that we um, asked the um, the participants, um, how many employees in the company are actually using um, BI tools? Not not from one vendor, but um, across the board, how many? Um, and then we compare that to the, the size of the company. And what we see here is that the, um, the proportion, the part of the employees that are using BI tools is rising, but very, very slowly. So despite these uh, self-service efforts, uh, despite um, BI tools getting uh, cheaper and cheaper, um, it's quite interesting to see that the notion of pervasive BI is, is not really uh, taking uh, place. It's, it's not really happening. We, um, if we take the average, we are now at about 13% of employees in a company having access or using a BI tool. And I think that's quite quite uh, quite a small number uh, compared to the um, let's say the ideas around uh, digitalization, the um, the notion that data and information is getting more and more important for companies and decision making. Then on the other end, we we cannot really see that in the data, and I think that's that's really interesting to see. Is that because you're counting, I suppose, usage of discrete standalone BI tools, and people these days are using more BI embedded in the application or the workflow? I mean, is it is is that where it's going, or or, or what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, I think one of the the major um, explanation patterns here is that the. Um, the, the BI capabilities or the BI functionality um, is uh, rising everywhere and it's it's increasingly available also in the operational or transactional applications. And um, we, for example, um, with the large vendors, let's take SAP as an example, um, we have really seen that the, the move has started now um, with the increased BI capabilities in the new ERP release S4. Um, many companies now have revisited uh, the data they have in their BW data warehouse systems and also the approach they take to BI and they have um, uh, redefined that they see that there's uh, quite a lot of operational BI going on. So BI um, used by people in an operational process, typically with data from only one source, the operational system, and uh, typically used for quite operational decisions. So no, no tactical, no long-term, uh, no integration of data from different sources required. And this, um, this, out of pure lack of functionality in the operational systems, this uh, has been done in, in data warehouses and BI systems, but now it's moving back to the operational systems. And I think that's a good uh, sign what's happening that the increasing capabilities are, are being used and employed and that basically BI is, is getting really embedded everywhere. And I think that's one of the reasons why the, the BI tool usage is not rising so rapidly. So do you see, I mean, take, taking things kind of st several stages further and, and talking about machine learning and AI, do you see 
Do you see that having an impact on things to the point where um, you know, machine learning and AI is going to start to reduce the need for BI tools because the decisions are made for you? I mean, is that becoming part of the landscape you see or is that a long way off from now, really? <laughs> it's uh, it's starting uh, to happen, but uh, right now only in, in very distinct use cases. So whenever you have uh, too much data for a human being to, to really oversee um, or maybe quite complex decision models, or you need to take decisions in a, in a very rapid manner, um, then we see that models are already doing that today. But that's uh, quite quite a small um, area. So I think right now many uh, companies can still improve in increasing the, the capability to have access to data, to provide insight to their decision makers. And that's still a major area of improvement for many companies. But then Slowly, we see the move into um, more models being um, integrated into um, processes and, and with that uh, decision-making also being automated. But for me, that's really just starting in, in, in industries like, let's say, online retail. It's, it's quite uh, normal to have that. But in, in many other cases, it's uh, still quite, a, quite far out. Okay, so so taking a step back to, to I suppose more traditional BI projects. Um, <clears throat> if you look back at uh, projects, you know, from the traditional vendors that would have a, a large governed uh, semantic model with a you know, enterprise kind of platform, are, are you finding that those those systems are still being used on for for new BI projects? Are they getting that kind of reuse that we thought they would, or are they all just being ditched to do to you know for new tools whenever a new project comes along? What's the reusability like of these systems? Um, it's it's there, but uh, for for some years it wasn't, and that's I think the big problem. So um, I think the the larger vendors that provide the platforms um, only caught up recently um, in the last years to provide something to the the users that uh, is really uh, making sense for them. But for many years, um, the, the large platform or enterprise BI vendors um, did not really offer that. So what happened in most companies we see today that have a lot of BI projects and, and uh, a large um, uh, architecture and, and many BI um, implementations, that now we have a, a big coexistence. So we still have the, the BI platforms in use, often for uh, standard reporting or older ad hoc reporting environments. And then a lot of uh, visual analysis has been introduced, a lot of self-service. And this is now living side by side, since um, basically the users um, didn't really find what they were looking for um, with, the, um, with the enterprise BI platforms. Okay, okay. And you just as an aside, you mentioned Europe and the US being different in terms of usage and, and vendors and you know, maybe even the UK and Europe as well. I mean, so, so within, within Europe itself, is it vendors such as uh, SAP Business Objects? Are they still big there? You know, are, they, are, there are there different vendors that are more popular in, in, in Europe than, say, the US at the moment? Um, I think for the larger vendors, it's quite similar. Obviously, um, we have some some regional uh, specifics like um, SAB uh, being much stronger. I mean, it's their their home market, um, especially in, in in the German-speaking countries, for example. Um, but apart from that, um, we might have a, a bit of a slower adoption since most vendors obviously start in the U.S. So, for example, um, but now, um, but, but for example, Tableau is a good example. Um, I mean, they, they started in the U.S., became very, very popular. 
and just then um, moved over to the UK. It took them a few years to get established there, and then they moved over to France and Germany, and so on. So it's, um, the the, um, the the distribution and the the pickup has been um, obviously then um, uh, country after country and year after year. And right now, for example, a vendor that's rising, uh, for example, would be uh, Domo in the US. And that's a, a quite a similar example. So they just started in the UK, um, I think, uh, last year or this year. And um, in, if you look at continental Europe, you will not find them at all right now because they're simply not present and not well known. And so this is basically the adoption we see here. But are there vendors that come out of, say, Germany and, and, and Europe that are um, producing regular software that is not perhaps known in, in the US that we should look out for, really? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we that's what we see in the BI survey is that we uh, still have uh, quite a lot of small vendors that are often only uh, regionally active. And um, what we see is that if we look at the, uh, let's say, business benefit uh, created or the, the project success, often they are extremely uh, successful. So they, they really deliver um, very good projects and, and good uh, benefit to the users. But uh, due to size, they are often only uh, well known in the, in the countries they basically are operating in. Okay. But uh, for sure, there's, there's some interesting vendors. Interesting. So just before we get on to the, the BARP Trends Monitor, which is something else I want to talk about, um, just going back to the OLAP report. So so the the genesis of, of what you talk about is the OLAP report. And OLAP as a technology is still there. You've still got um, S-Base, for example. You've still got other tools. But is, is OLAP itself, traditional multidimensional OLAP, do you still see that being used and implemented? Or, or has something else come along to replace that now? I mean, what, what's your view on that? Yeah, um, I mean... What's happening is that we see now a lot of um, BI vendors now bring their own database technology. So I think one of the, the, the one of the market trends of the last ten years is that we are we don't see the the market as it used to be, where you had pure front ends, basically tools that could connect to many databases. Um, but what you have today is often a, a bundle of database technology and then the BI tool. And um, this often replaced um, the OLAP databases. But um, there, there are two, um, or maybe it's only one, um, use case or area where it's still a lot of OLAP databases are being used. That's um, typically in the finance and controlling departments. And, and then there's one use case that's planning and budgeting where um, a lot of the solutions in the market are based on um, MOLAP technology since it's really very well suited for these types of, of use cases. So who who are the? I mean, I'm aware of TM1 and, and S Space. I mean, what are the other vendors in that space that are scoring quite well at the moment in your uh, in your surveys? Well, for, first of all, these two are still around, and uh, both have quite quite happy users. Um, and then the third big vendor, obviously, is Microsoft. So um, the SQL Server Analysis Services is extremely strong. It's it's really um, like can be considered as a standard. So if um, um, a company is using Microsoft SQL Server technology, very, very often they also use the analysis services. And I, I would say these three vendors are really um, taking most of the market. Okay, okay. So let, let's look at the another thing you've done, which is the trend monitor. I mean, what, what is the Bark trend monitor? What's the, what's the purpose of that? And what did it, did, what were the main, I suppose, the highlight findings really from, uh, from the last one of those? 
Yeah, that's a, a unique kind of research because we simply ask only one question um, to the participants. And that's uh, how do they rate um, a number of trends we present to them, about 20 uh, trends. And we let them rate this from 0 to 10, basically not interesting at all, or to very important for their work or for their company. And um, what we can see here is basically a trends from a user perspective. I mean, it's now end of the year, so we'll, we'll see in the next week, we see lots of prediction and trends for the next year. And uh, typically, we as an analyst would also do that. But obviously, that's an, an expert opinion. And I mean, often it's right, but it's, it's purely a viewpoint. And we thought, um, why don't we ask the users what's important for them? And uh, what came out is often quite uh, astonishing because um, often users rate trends quite different from vendors and um, service providers. And, and, and since these, um, these people and, and companies and groups also took part in the trend monitor, we can actually compare that. And, and that's what we can do with that product is we can now run a lot of comparisons. So we break that down by the user type, also, um, also business or IT users. We break it down by industries. We break it down by a company size. And we also break it down by geographies. And we can also see that uh, specific trends are valued quite differently in, in different countries. So what comes out here is, I think, quite a differentiated and very interesting view on the, um, the perception of importance of BI trends. That's basically what it is. So I was very surprised to see top of the trend list this time, uh, master data management and data quality management, which, which, yeah. which it's like it's equivalent of cleaning your teeth and tidying a room, isn't it? It's something that you, you, everyone thinks says they do and is interested in. But I was very surprised to see it was top of the top of the list. So tell us about that and, and, and what people were telling you about that topic. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's um, I think it's a, like a rebound. It, it has come back. Um, it used to be a hot topic, but quite quite some time ago. And I see now with all the um, initiatives around, for example, predictive analytics and digitalization and the self-service BI, um, as I said, the maturity that has been achieved in self-service BI also, we see that a lot of users and a lot of companies um, are, are reassessing um, the value of data and how they treat this asset. And they see that they have uh, big plans and, and often now uh, digitalization and using data and analytics has become strategic. But once they started into looking how they could do that or how, to, how they could improve um, to use data and analytics, um, they often discover that the um, underlying asset, the, the, let's say the raw material, is in such a bad state that they basically cannot derive value out of their projects because simply the, the data quality is not there or they, they cannot get the, the, the consistent master data and so on and so on. And I think this is like a, a sign of maturity that we have now tried a lot of self-service, that we see data now as a strategic asset and that we um, have ideas around using advanced analytics. And uh, a lot of people now um, see the value of, of clean data, of good, reliable data, but they also see that they need to do something about it. 
Okay, and I also saw high on that list data governance as well. And we talked earlier on about about that was uh, a trending topic, I suppose, really. But what, what, how is that manifesting itself? Is it is it in is it kind of looking at things like data stewards to to own certain definitions of data? And what what does data governance mean in terms of uh, a trend and and what people are doing about that? Yeah, I mean, first of all, it's it's more an organizational trend. So the the solution to let's uh, also the solution to improving data quality and and also um, to have a better data governance is uh, rooted in organizational measures, meaning that you exactly create these roles and that you finally persuade a business that they have to take care of data. And it's not an IT problem to provide clean data. And this uh, often leads to major disputes and, and uh, long-time discussions. But in the end, it's really about uh, organizing it, about creating responsibilities, maybe also uh, sanctions, um, and, and to really now now get it done. And so organization comes first. And second, obviously, we also see an, an uptake of um, tools being used. There are now um, specific uh, solutions that are getting uh, quite popular around uh, metadata management, around um, cataloging, data lakes, um, and so on and so on. So it's, it's, it's really also obviously then uh, supporting your data governance initiatives with the right tooling. But for sure, it starts with uh, more organizational um, issues and, and approaches. Okay, so you mentioned data lakes there. I mean, do you see much project success or traction with data lakes? Or is it more of a good idea that um, perhaps is impractical in purpose? I mean, what success are you seeing with this, really? Is it happening or not? Um, it, it's happening maybe not on the, the scale that we, um, especially vendors, thought a few years back. But they, they surely play a role whenever you have quite heterogeneous data sources and data formats. So it's, it's really a place to, to integrate that um, and also to integrate data that is not fitting into a relational database. Um, secondly, for, for some companies, it's a way to become more agile because they have much more regulation around a uh, data lake compared to a, a data warehouse. So um, they, they manage to get more agile and just quicker to, to make uh, new data sources available to users. And thirdly, where I see it playing a role is really in providing raw data to analysts, especially if they run, if they are more in a data scientist role. So they, they really find a lot of raw data from many sources, and, and here it creates value. So you mentioned about, um, I suppose, raw data there and preparation and so on. I mean, one of the trends, again, within the industry has been data prep tools and maybe BI vendors adding data prep um, and uh, features to their BI tools. Do you see success with that? Is it getting traction? Is there value in that? You know, what, what's, what's, the, what's your um, survey, survey respondents view on that kind of area? Yeah, it's actually one of the trends that has uh, arisen in importance quite a lot. So we see that that users really rate it very highly now and think it's an important trend. And what we see, it it, it really has started with the self-service BI tools, because from the, the very early beginning, um, what users really valued is not only to have these, this flexibility in analyzing data, but also in integrating data for themselves. 
And, and often this uh, feature is used for external data, actually, or for uh, data silos that were not accessible before. And so they, they used it and really liked the features. And, and very early on in, in selection projects, we saw that the uh, data integration features played a major role in when selecting a self-service BI tool. And now we obviously have these specialized vendors also being available. And um, we also see that um, the, the uh, data prep uh, capabilities in the cloud platforms are, are being enhanced. And we see that it's, it's, um, it's becoming a really important feature because it's, it allows you to quite quickly access uh, data, especially external data. Um, it's often really used to when you're more in, a, in an explorative mode, when you discover data sources, when you just want to take a look whether there's some value or some interesting data. And later on, when, when something is, is really meant to be uh, in, in, in a consistent production, you can still maybe uh, move it to a more traditional data integration pipeline, for example. But uh, data prep really provides this flexibility and, and the fast access to data. And this has become a more and more important requirement. Okay, you, you touched on a topic there that was quite dear to my heart from before, which was a, so a selection of BI tools. Um, do you still do you do you see that people companies still select tools via I suppose RFPs with with kind of like point, you know checklists and so on there? I mean, how has the selection process itself evolved over time for BI tools, and is that has it improved or or what really? <laughs> so maybe um, first of all, from the um, from the survey data, we can very clearly see that uh, companies that take some effort in comparing the the capabilities and the features of products, in the end, run more successful BI products uh, projects. So, if you look at business benefits achieved with uh, introducing a BI solution then we have a very clear correlation that companies that uh, took some effort, that made some comparisons, um, are uh, achieving higher business benefits. So we can really recommend to do that. Um, on the other hand, now, um, obviously, with the... Um, the popularity of self-service tools, uh, things have changed. So we, we see less um, large, let's say, company-wide standardization projects where you would select a, a big platform for the, the whole company. And we have seen more, let's say, smaller scale, um, more departmental scale uh, selections where you would compare uh, self-service BI tools or maybe compare those with the um, enterprise platform that's already in place to really understand where are the benefits and, and what are the downsides of it. But so it, it definitely has changed. It typically has become quicker. Um, it has become more proof of concept based, uh, less paper based. And this is really because of the, the, um, yeah, the nature of the tools that are being selected today. Okay, you mentioned earlier on about agile. Um, you know, it's cloud making you more agile and data lakes making you more agile. Um, but I noticed in your in your uh, trend monitor that agile BI projects or agile BI development was the biggest fall in all the kind of the trends there. Again, is that yeah. something that was a good idea, or does it mean it's because it's more commonplace now? What's the, what's the kind of the, the, the view on that? Yeah, I think it's it's quite commonplace now. So um, that would be my interpretation, that users are not rated as um, amongst the most important trends for them. 
because we see that that uh, most users have implemented it, that it's a quite a commonplace way to proceed and and to uh, run BI projects. So I think that's the the reason why it's not so important for users anymore because they simply do it. Yeah, it's just become I suppose a given, really. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so last last question for you. So GDPR. Um, it, yeah, maybe explain for people what that is and and um, and why that will maybe be a priority next year and why it will be something that people looking at analytics projects should be aware of, really. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, it stands for a General Data Protection Regulation. So it's a, a EU regulation. And many people don't know that it's already in place. So it's already... Um, oh, there we uh, go. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But um, why there's this magic date of May 2018 around us, um, because this is the date when uh, companies can actually be fined if they are not complying to the regulation. So that's why it's so important to be um, up to speed with that in May next year. And the fine can actually be quite hefty. It can be up to 4% of the global revenue of the company. So if you are a larger company, that can be quite a fine if you uh, are not complying with that. So we see um, that that a lot of companies are looking into it right now. And um, it, it's actually for now uh, data and analytics projects is quite far reaching because there are some uh, very interesting um, uh, demands in here that sometimes are very hard to fulfill. So, um, I mean, most companies are quite aware about data protection and, and ensuring privacy, but um, there are some things in here that are quite hard to, to fulfill. And one is, for example, uh, first of all, that you have to know where um, uh, data is actually stored uh, in your company that is related to, to your customers or to, to uh, humans, to, to uh, people. And uh, that's uh, it's creating already the first uh, quite big problem for many companies um, because they often cannot say where the data is. And if we now think back to the uh, self-service BI discussions we had, then uh, it really creates a problem that you have hundreds of self-service BI tools in the company. Each of them uh, has a database and, and people created their own applications. And probably they also have, for example, customer data in there. And you don't know where it is, but you have to know. That's number one. Number two is um, it gets much stricter on who has access. So, for example, you cannot allow people to have a full database access anymore. Um, and you, you, uh, you really have to um, be sure that you have an, an identity management in place and that you know how to access data and so on. So it's really a lot about data management, being aware where data is and who has access to it. Um, and then the, I think to mention one interesting other thing is um, that a lot of companies don't see yet, but which also has some very interesting implications. Uh, in, in GDPR Article 21, there is uh, a mention of a right uh, to explanation in uh, automated decision-making. So this comes back to the dis discussion we had. So uh, your customers have the right to demand an explanation why a certain decision has been taken by your company. Um, and... If you now think that you have uh, models making more and more decisions, like, for example, on uh, credit approvals, for example, um, then and, the, and then you see that the most popular uh, method um, or approach right now is using more and more neural nets, um, for example, in deep learning. 
um, then we see that this is a, a black box technology. So basically you train the net, but it's very hard uh, for you to explain later on why a, a specific uh, output of a model was created. And then we have now the starting discussions whether we can actually continue to use uh, neural nets or neural networks in uh, cases where in the end the customer will or might demand an explanation why a certain decision has been taken by a model. And um, so this right of explanation, I think, has some quite interesting implications in uh, running uh, your advanced analytics and data science um, initiatives in the future. And we saw that that a lot of companies uh, don't really tap into this topic yet because they are really uh, struggling with the other demands that are quite uh, demanding, obviously, also. So is this a European thing only or is it a worldwide uh, sort of rule or, or what, really? Um, I think, this is, yeah, first of all, obviously, this regulation is, is happening only in Europe. Um, specific, uh, parts, specific parts of it are um, obviously also um, in, 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 uh, in place in other countries. And, um, for example, I recently heard that um, in the U.S. also, um, um, it's, uh, if you have uh, credit um, approvals or credit decisions, that, for example, there are no neural networks being used for exactly this reason that um, it has to be transparent how a decision is taken and you have other methods in your uh, in your library or uh, what you can use for example you can also use decision trees and here you have the same effect you can create a model but uh, this is explainable so we see some things um, happening also in other um, uh, countries but uh, right now in the extent I think it's quite unique in, in the EU, EU. But I guess I guess companies have operations in the EU in the US and they have to comply across both of them and and you know you're not going to have the same you're not going to have a different approach to doing uh, cases in the US to Europe e even to the point of I suppose um, we had one uh, issue today with my, where I'm working where um, the US cloud vendor for the BI software we're using they were they have to be able to kind of control whether or not US people can log in to do so to do support work because they can typically log into our yeah. environment and do that and so I guess it's it's something that. Is you know it's 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 kind of known about, but the point you raise there about the the understandability and explainability of models that's a really interesting thing, isn't it? Because these things, especially we've got self-learning neural net systems, where where yeah, exactly. How do you explain it really? Uh, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, you can't. So uh, you really have to rethink where you use these uh, black box approaches, like yeah. neural networks, and, and where you cannot use them. Excellent. Okay. Well, look, we've run out of time now. So, um, Carsten, do you tell us about how do people access the OLAP reports? How did that, sorry, the BI survey? Um, <laughs> and and how, how do they find out about what you're doing and uh, maybe take part in next year's um, survey? Yeah, that's really would be great if, if more people would take part. Um, it's basically the central website here is www.bisurvey.com. And that's where you uh, find a lot of information. We also have a lot of free um, documents available. And here you can also sign up to participate. Fantastic. Well, it's been great speaking to you. Um, have a nice evening, rest of the evening. And uh, yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks to you, Mark. Bye-bye.